0: Okay, here we go. <laughs> Chapter two of the book of Colossians. Now, for some of you who are just returning, um, I am not going to review much, but I do want to just tell you that Paul never was at this church before, and he—it um, was—it was a church that was started by people products of his ministry, probably, like Epaphras. We figured that he was a product of Paul's ministry, maybe in Ephesus or something, because Ephesus was only about 100 miles away or so. But then Epaphras came and started this church. And we don't really know how long this church has been going, but we do know that Epaphras came to Paul in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's hooked to some soldier 24 hours a day. But Epaphras comes, and because Paul is able to have company and visitors, and he's with Timothy, then then Epaphras says, "I got a real big concern." He says, "I've got people. I've got wonderful people. They they believe in the gospel. They 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 heard the story of a of a savior. But but now now the, in filtering, there's people coming in that are starting to cause confusion and doubt." And so Paul knows he can't go there so he writes this letter and he he kind of just like he does so beautifully when he writes a letter he introduces himself and I'm sure everybody knew who he was I mean I'm sure you know, when when they get a letter from the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, I'm sure they sat up and took notice, and he was very, you know, he said, yes, I am Paul, and I am an apostle, and I'm an apostle. I've been sent out to tell you about Christ Jesus, and the reason why I'm doing that is because that was God's will and plan for me. I mean, in other words, he's saying, I don't think I would have chose this. I was on a whole different path, and... You know how? What an example that is for us! You know, sometimes God changes our plans, and we have our lives all figured out. And sometimes He says, "That's not the way I want it to go. I have different plans. That I had planned before you even were even born. I knew exactly what I was going to do with you." And so when He says, "I was called by the by," this was God's will. And but I think that we can kind of look at ourselves: Are we willing to be that pliable in the Lord's hands? You know, are we willing to really surrender and say, you know, I I'm willing to let you speak this truth to people that might not know it otherwise. And so, um, He calls them holy and faithful. So He's not tearing into them. He's saying, you know, as believers, yes, you are now holy. And you are faithful. You are faithful, brothers and sisters in Christ, and grace and peace to you. And those are his favorite words because he knows that that's what happens when you're a believer. You've been drenched with this undeserved favor, and now you live a life of peace because no one can take that away from you. And then he talked about, you know, because Paul loves talking about faith and love and hope. He talked about it in Corinthians. He says, you know, faith is kind of like the the past. Your faith, even though it's obviously present, but what your faith starts with is what happened in the past. Your faith is that you chose to believe that Jesus really left heaven. You believe the non-disputable words here. You believe the cross. You believe the empty tomb. You believe the ascension. You believe that happened. 2000 years ago or so. That happened and by faith. Because what is faith? And that's why we, this summer we're really going to delve into that word, faith. We're going to spend four four times four months. I got you. I got the lessons already. This time, yes, you got you got work to do. And it's, I will give it to you next week, and I've laid it out for month one, month two, month three, month four, and you've got plenty to do in, those, in that month. But it's all from Hebrews 11, one chapter of Scripture. But oh, I will have you all over this book. But it all has to do with that word faith. And that is so important because it's faith is the fundamental. You've got to believe. You've got to choose to believe this because you didn't actually see it. But that's what faith is. Faith is just being so sure. It's being so sure of what has been presented to you and what you have read and the hope of your future. And you haven't even seen it. So he talks about faith and then he says, faith, well, then what caused you to to live this out? And what did he say? He said, because of your faith, I've heard about your faith and I've heard how it's living out. So faith is an action word. Faith isn't just what you believe in your heart and in your head, but faith, if it's real, James says, hey, just just like the body without the spirit, it's dead hate to be so blunt, but he said that's what the body is. If it doesn't have a living spirit inside, it, the body is dead. He said. So faith, if it isn't real, if it doesn't have works, if it hasn't, if it hasn't kicked you into some new action, then it isn't real faith at all. Because real faith changes you and you you have a whole new new perspective and and reason for life and and everything is different as you as you grow in him you find everything about that's why you're living in a new house because you've been established by godly wisdom now you're being run by god's spirit it's no longer you that lives it's christ that lives in you it's got to be different this faith is active And Paul says, we've heard that your faith is real and it's been lived out in love, and that's why he uses the word love because you know it's the first fruit of the spirit. It's what God says. I want you to love me with all of your heart. Love is another fundamental word. Love isn't that warm, fuzzy, it's the the real, the you love when you're not gonna get anything back from it. You love the way Jesus, it's grace-filled. So he says, "And we've heard that that, uh, that it's working." And then he talks about the hope, that the hope that comes that's stored up for you in heaven, that, you, that you're hanging on to that because even though no, you haven't seen that either, but you know that you have a future. And then he, he just kind of, um, you know, says, I want, you to, I want to make sure that you're living a life worthy of the Lord, verse 10. I think that, too, is just it bears to go over. This is what God expects. He wants us to live a life that's worthy of what he has done for us. So when we pray this, Lord, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. See, guess who it's not about anymore? It's not about me that now you're starting to see this change because now it's about him. And that's why you want to please him. And how does he say you do that? By bearing fruit in every good work. And how does that happen? Because you are, you are growing in what? You're growing in knowledge. You're getting to know him better. And how do you get to know him better? You got a little hole in your head that you just funnel the information in? No. What does it take? It takes work. It takes this book. It takes the time. And so now he's generally going to start saying, you know what, you know why you're, you're falling into this confusion and these doubts and, and you're starting to buy into this nonsense. What do you think? Who do you think could possibly save you? Do you think any human being's blood could be sufficient? I mean, Bertie, you know, he's going to start. He said, remember, Jesus rescued you from the dominion of darkness. You were headed to hell. You were lost. Do you think any human could change that? So, you know, now he's starting to use these words and get in. Them. I think a lot of, I think they were sitting there thinking, whoa, that's right, that's right. But how quickly you can get sidetracked. And that's right, Jesus did that. He rescued me from the dominion and the darkness. He's the one that, that bought me with his blood, he's the one that forgave me of my sins. The word redeemed is because of him and him alone. And then he moved into, okay, now I'm going to say this because in case you didn't catch that, Paul is saying, now that you've thought about this personally, now that you realize there's no human that could have done that, that couldn't have redeemed you, that could have rescued you from, from the dominion of darkness, now that you realize that your life should be about pleasing him because he is worthy, I want you to know he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. In other words, he was, and he is, and he always will be God. He was there at creation. In the beginning was the word. He is over all things. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn among the dead. And we talked about what is the firstborn of the dead, even though other people have been raised from the dead even though Enoch and, and uh, Elijah, even though they never died. Jesus is the only one who died, rose from the dead, never to have to die again. And he's the firstborn. He's the one that did that. And who do we follow? Him. So we follow suit. So we die once And we will not experience the second death because once we're raised, we will never die again because we follow what Jesus did when he came out of the grave. So, and then he said, for it was, for it pleased God to give Jesus all the authority necessary to give him the fullness and through him to reconcile himself to all things. The, The father is saying, I gave Jesus everything that it took to be sufficient, to be able to take care of every sin, every person. Hmm. And so he describes that, he says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and moved from the hope held out in the gospel. I hope you reread that this week. And what word we said last week was very essential. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight. Okay, we all know that. Salvation at the cross. Yes, we know that. We're so thankful for that, that now we are without blemish and we're free from accusation because what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that. But then all of a sudden you you hit the word what if. So we talked last week, and you know, and I don't know if you gave it I don't know if you gave it much thought, but you know this whole issue because there's always people that bring up issues and and you know can you lose your salvation do you believe that you can lose your salvation do you believe in eternal security and you know i don't i don't know everybody thinks they've got the proof for that and so i never feel that it's my place to say whether one way or the other i know personally in, in my mind what i kind of think, but there is verses that can prove both sides but here to me this just really says why would you even want it to even come up as an issue why would you even play Russian roulette with your salvation when a passage of scripture says look at this I'm going to read it again and I'll but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical bodies through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. So to me, it's very clear that it, we're going to see in tonight's lesson as well that he puts continue. Just as important as your extra, you you make an actual commitment. You come to the cross for your salvation. That is not the end of it. And continuing in this is vital. Or that's why he says you're going to start falling into all kinds of confusion and doubts, and self will start reigning again, and it's like nothing ever happened. And you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be changed. You're a new house. So he said, you've got to start recognizing that it is just as important to continue and work at this as it was on the day that he reconciled you from your sin. Now you've got to keep it going because he's got plans for you. So now he says, as we close in the first chapter, he says, "We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ." Policy and see, we've got to continue this. We got to proclaim. Remember, we said that word, proclaim. We're telling good news, the best news, life-changing news. We got to. Otherwise, how are people going to know? Paul said that in Romans ten. How can you expect someone to believe? I mean, I know I keep bringing this up, but Judges 2, it just gives me chills when I read that. After Joshua died, the next generation didn't even know about Moses. They didn't even know that there was a Red Sea. They never heard the story about it parting in half. The very next generation, that's why Paul says here. Look how quick, if you don't pass it on, if you don't proclaim this good news, if you don't teach Look what opportunity you have to present everyone perfect in Christ. Just think somebody might go to heaven. Somebody might get to know Jesus because you were not ashamed. Because you know that your story, you know what happened to you. And because of that, you were willing to tell them. This end, I labor struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Now, why would he use the word labor and struggle? I mean, why would you struggle with his power? Why do you have to struggle when you've got his Holy Spirit, his power working in us? Why would he say, I struggle with his energy? Because what keeps wanting to come up? Me, yeah, yourself wants to keep coming. And he, with all your excuses, with all of your, yeah, buts, you know, when you know the Lord's opened a door of opportunity for you and I mean, I think of a couple times it just, I just, it just gets me when I think of how I messed up, he put the opportunity right in front of me. And then I love the idea when I did walk through the door of opportunity, And I did watch someone accept Christ as their Savior. I'll never forget. I was singing at East Lake Campground. East Lake Campground, it's just an elegant ways, you know. And everybody would bring their lounge chairs outside, and it was beautiful. Night was hot, but it was beautiful. And so, of course, I mean, what a what a way to go to a concert on a Saturday night, huh? laying in your in your in your lounge chair, and it was just one of those nights, and I thought it was just gonna be perfect. I really did. And then all of a sudden, you know, there is this trailer because, see, that's what East like campground. You bring your camper, you know, and there was this camper right by the place that that you know I was gonna sing. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, maybe 50 feet or so. I don't know. I mean, far enough away. And all of a sudden, you know, probably second, third song, all of a sudden, this guy comes storming out of that trailer. I mean, it was close enough that I could see. He was upset. He, would, he wasn't that he was coming out to listen. He was upset. And right in the middle of the song, he starts yelling. yelling. Oh, I've had it before, singing outside. This farmer who didn't want, you know, us singing on this public land, he he, he started up his tractor and went back and forth, back and forth. Oh, I, I I could tell you stories. But this particular one, this particular one, I knew. He started just right in the middle of the song. He started yelling, and everybody turned around, you know. Yeah, um, I didn't come on my vacation here to hear hear. The songs about Jesus all the time—that's an infringement on my rights. Now I don't know whether he thought I was going to be quiet, and I really didn't know what to do either. And, and I, I looked at Tom, and he goes, "You know, <laughs> it's so funny." And so, and really, you know, the Lord—the Lord wants me to trust Him. You know, it's so easy to look at someone else and tell, have them tell you what to do next, but I knew that. And so, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, what do I do next? I mean, he's very emphatic. I mean, he's very, he he wants me to stop, and it's infringement on his rights. And then I start wondering, oh, dear, is this going to be a government thing? And, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to be singing on this land or whatever, you know. And, you know, the Lord took care of it. All of a sudden, this guy, all of a sudden, this guy, he says, lady, if you think you're so good, if you think you're so good, why don't you sing Amazing Grace or something? Now, he had no idea. I mean, he did that so sarcastic. I don't think he even knew what the song was. But the, that, I thought, oh, thanks, Lord. I know what to do next. He told me to sing it. But I looked at that as, that was, that was his guiding me because I did not know what to do. I didn't know if this was something I had to follow through and be quiet now, or, you know, he was going to call the police or what, but the Lord, you know, he said, so I didn't have it on any track. There was no piano, nothing. So I just started singing amazing grace. And I happened to know all the all the words, so I went to the second verse and and you know by the third verse i was I was so into the truth of it that I thought, you know what I'm just going to keep this going, I'm not even gonna look and when we've been there ten thousand years last verse i i looked and and he wasn't in the he wasn't in the the trailer doorway. <laughs> And then I noticed he was close to me, and I thought, oh, dear. And I saw Tom. He was getting up, you know, because you don't know. You have no idea what he's going to do. And he came, and the closer he got, it was very obvious that and this is how, don't underestimate how the Lord's got a plan, and he, he can change hearts, and, and he can do it in a timetable. I mean, we just so forget what he's able to do. In four verses, in four little verses of that song, the Lord was working on his heart. And as he made his way to me, I mean, I just opened my arms, and he came right to me. And I just put my arms around him. And everybody who was there for the concert, you could have heard a hush. And then he spoke. He says, "Um, I didn't ask you to sing that song, and I didn't really think. I asked you, I know I asked you to sing it, but I didn't expect you to sing it. And I said, I know you didn't, but the Lord did. And then I said to him, I said, "Um, would you mind sitting down? And I would love to tell you about Jesus and his amazing grace, how much he loves you. And how these songs will just show you how much he loves you and that, that he died on the cross for you. And that your whole life could be changed, and everybody's listening. And he said, "Yeah, I'll sit down." And so he sat down. And I just showed him very simply the plan of salvation. No one mind. No one minded. No one ever complained later, saying to me, "Man, we came for a concert, and you just..." No one ever said anything. And so I said to him, and everybody could hear because you know how sound goes outside. Everybody could hear, and I said to him, I said, well, I've done all I can. I've told you the story. Now what are you, you going to do with it? It's up to you. You can say yes to a Savior, or you can say no. And he said, I say yes. And I prayed with him, and the people heard, and, and it, they heard him prayed, except Jesus, I, I would say something, and then he said it. And he stayed for the rest of the concert. And the next year, when I went back to the same East Lake campground, guess who was sitting in the front row? When I got there, we—it was just unbelievable. So when he says I, you need to proclaim, you can't—you can't. It's not always going to be easy. And remember, we we learned in the Proverbs: not a, you're not going to always bat a thousand. There's going to be some, and I've had many of those say, no, keep it to yourself. But at least I know, and I hope that if you've had that experience, that you can walk away knowing, well, they know. There is no way they're going to say, they're going to be able to go before the Lord because they are going to stand because we talked about that too, remember? Everybody's going to give an account and they're going to stand in front of the Lord and they're going to try using this one. Uh, But no one ever told me. I always say, and I say that to the people, if they reject, it, I say, well, I just want you to know when you stand in front of the Lord and you try to use this one, no one ever told me, he's going to remind you about a blonde that told you the story and you said no. Sometimes that makes a difference and sometimes it doesn't. But that's, that's the truth. Once you have told them, they know. And that's why he said, you know what? Proclaim, teach with the wisdom that you've learned and what you know. You don't have to go to four years seminary. You have a story. You know what Jesus did. And because you were willing to say something, did you ever hear Rebolts song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord? Some he's he just makes it so aware that someday you don't even you didn't even know. I mean, one time I was coming out of quality, quality getting gas, and I went inside to pay this was and or to get something. And there was a kid, big probably in his twenties. He says, Aren't you Lynnel Pierce? I said, Yeah. He said, Oh, my mom made me come every time. You know, it's one of those things. And I said, Yeah, I know plenty of kids that had to come. And then it was so cute, you know, he left, he walked out, and then he came back, and he said to me, he says, okay, I'm still God's kid. And that was always what I taught children, is that you're God's kid, no matter whether you're big or small. And he came back in, and he came back to say, and I'm still God's kid, (laughs) You know, we had a little flyer in our condo place, and and they said this, this these two guys is so it was so nice, and they said you know if you can get a deal because we're gonna do a whole bunch if you want your your um, dryer vent cleaned out. Well, we needed it, so I thought okay, so I emailed him and, and said yeah we would like that. And He emailed me back. He said you aren't the singer, are you? <laughs> now, and I mean, you just never know. And then it was so—it was so cute because then I wrote him back and I said, "Yes, I don't sing anymore, but I'm still checking to see if you're still God's kid." And he wrote back and said, "Yeah, I'm a Christian, and I, yes, I am God's kid." And I said, "You got my business." So he came and cleaned our vent. But you know, you just don't know where. You know, like, thank you for giving to the Lord. Maybe someday, that's why he says, maybe by the, by your living out your story, don't underestimate what you can do and what your life that's been changed, your new house, what it can do. It it can, it can change someone's life for all eternity. And then he says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. He says, you know, this, uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure he's saying to the people, oh, and when you're done with this uh, letter, uh, pass it on to Laodicea, because, boy, do we know, did they need it or what? Oh, did they ever need it? And that's why in Revelation chapter 3, why Jesus said, John, write to Laodicea. Of all the churches, this is one church that, oh, it looks like they're doing great, but but I'm standing at the door knocking. Isn't that amazing that you can have a big going church and Jesus on the outside? And so <laughs> that's why Paul said, Do you know, Laodicea is only 11 miles or so down the road. Get them this letter because I care about you two churches. You're getting confused. My purpose is that they may be encouraged. So I want this letter. I want my words I, because you know me. You've tried, you trust me. You know what I've been called to do, and it's God's will that I'm telling you, and I'm proclaiming this life-changing news to you. You know, I look at how much he's said already. And we're just getting into the second chapter. But he's saying, there. that's why I wrote what I did in the first part of the letter. Because I want you to know that my whole purpose, the whole reason for this is so that you may be encouraged. It's so easy to get discouraged. And I want you encouraged. And I want you united in love so that you may be full, that you may have the full, full riches. Now, I don't know if there's different versions that maybe, but I, I look at words like, that you may have the full riches of complete understanding. In other words, I want you to have it all. I want you not to miss anything. This is such a great life. Even when, when life stinks, when your physical life the ups and downs, the uncontrollables that you can't help. You can't help a doctor's diagnosis. You can't help a broken, you know, broken whatever. Sometimes there's just life is hard. And he says, but I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be united in in this love of Christ. I want you to know that you can have the full riches and that's why did you see, riches has nothing to do with material things, does it? No. You can be so rich because you are full of what? Complete understanding. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. You know, we, we talked about that word mystery, and it is, it's not a mystery to those who know them. This whole living for Christ and and this abundant life and this fruit of the Spirit and this change and this new house that we talk about. Does some people, if they walked in right now, they'd say, what a bunch of nonsense. What are you talking about? That makes no sense at all. It's a mystery to them. But, To us, the more we get to know him, the more that we understand the non-negotiable words that he's written for us, the more that we take the time and we learn. It's not a mystery. makes more sense every week, don't you think? Every week as you study this, isn't this making more sense? Yeah, it's not a mystery. All of a sudden, you start getting it. Oh, Yeah. And he said, that's the goal. Learning that, that takes time. But the goal is that every time you learn some more, that you, you get to know him less, you, less mysterious and more known. Because in him, it's only in him, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding Arguments. I don't, any other version? Did, did you have anything? How did you read fine sounding? Is that all in your versions? Oh, okay. Persuasive words? Persuasive words? Okay. And, and, okay, if someone comes and they're very persuasive, they're very good at what they're doing, you know, or when in, in this version, fine-sounding arguments. And if you don't know the difference, if the Holy Spirit isn't saying, watch out, watch out, if you don't have red flags standing up because you just, you know, you've gotten a little complacent and you haven't been studying and, and you know what, a lot of this is still mysterious to you, you don't get it. And so you'll be easily swayed, and somebody comes in with fine-sounding arguments. Oh, man, you buy it hook, line, and sinker. Because why? Oh, they're talking something. What Paul tells Timothy, be careful, itching ears, itching ears, don't want to hear about conviction and, and like, like what you said tonight, Vaughn, about, about uh, challenge. No, I want to be comfortable and happy Thank you. And so they come in and if they're saying what you want to hear, oh, oh of course. And but how wonderful you're grounded in God's word that you know that these challenges I gotta tell you, um we to hear Chad Preach, and one of the weeks that we were there, he had, um, in his sermon, he asked his congregation, he said, what I would like you to do is in the course of this week, I want you to think about your story. What makes, what, why are you the way you are? I want you to, and they just said, I don't, I don't want pages, I just want a hundred words or less. So what, what is it? I want you to think about it. What happened? What have you learned? What is your story that you can say, I am the way I am because? And I thought, well, you know, I'm not a member of this church, but I like that idea. I thought about that. And then it was so cute. He says, believe me, he says, "Don't." I've been a Marine and I've been a pastor. I've heard it all. So nothing will surprise me. And he said, I won't tell, I won't tell anybody. Now, I, I thought, how do I tell my old kid? I pretended he wasn't. I just pretended he wasn't. And I thought, okay, why am I the way I am? And I, I looked, I had been in James, when we were in James, and I was... In that, in and this is where James says, "Consider pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds." And you know, I don't wear my difficulties on my on my sleeve, you know. And and yet I have, I I I looked at that verse and I thought, okay, 100 words or less. I did it in what 75. And I started the verses, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And then I went in and I, I told my story. And, and then ended with, because it's during these times that turn you into one that will persevere, that will complete you, that you will know in him is your hope. So I sandwiched my story in between these this verse, and it was profound because I thought, no wonder James, Paul—they talk about. Remember when in Romans five, where Paul said, "Rejoice when trials come your way," you know, and you think, "Ah, oh, that's ridiculous." Nobody says unless you're willing to let Him work through these trials, you will not know what perseverance means. You will not know what um, lacking nothing is. You're not going to know that he is enough. And I thought about my life, I thought back, and I thought, especially one time when there was no way I could go to my mom and dad. There was no way I could, you know, tell my kids. There was no way. And you know what? It was in the hardest of the hardest time did I find out he was enough. And then these verses, you start telling your story. And this is what enables you then to reach out because you know it's true. Why am I able to be so strong and so sure and be so confident about this? It's because of what I've been through. And because you know, you know it works. And that's what Paul is saying. Be careful of fine-tuned, fine-sounding arguments. Because you know what? It's not through good times, easy times. You will find so much. Look at, look at Paul, how he's, look what he went through. Look at Jesus, what he went through. But he knew the joy that awaited him. Hey, so do you, so do I. When you consider, consider all the things that you've gone through, but it's through those things that made you. I'll tell you, it, as, I, as he had me write that little story, I couldn't believe. It. All of a sudden, the lights came on. I thought, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known that in him I'd lack nothing. I can cling to him, and he's, he'll, he'll keep me on my feet. For although I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and I'm delighted to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. So then, just as you now watch this, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Oh, that's a lot. Did you notice so in that, where he says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live. To me, I couldn't help but see that it's just as you came to him as your Savior, it's just as important that you continue in this. Because if you don't continue... Let's say you come to the cross and you, you accept Jesus as your Savior, but then all of a sudden you say, okay, that's all I need to do. And now I go back to myself. I go back to my old way of living. I, I never pick up my Bible. I never study. I never listen to godly wisdom or study it. I might hear it every Sunday in church. Oh, yeah, that's good. And then I leave and go do my thing again. But if you don't make it yours and you don't take it as seriously as what I believe— Paul is saying to you, what's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to your faith? It's not faith at all. You're not going to be trusting him. When, when, when life takes you for a ride down a road you didn't expect, guess what you're going to do? Your spiritual life's going to go right down that road too. And you're going to start doubting. You're going to shake your little fist at him saying, this, I, this is not what you were supposed to do. Instead of saying, you know what? I surrender all. I love that. What does that song say? All to Jesus I surrender humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. Yeah, you, if you know him, you're going to dare say that. But if you don't know him because you just got your ticket and went off and you just didn't think you needed Bible study and you, you just your little five-minute devotional was enough or your one little hour in church is enough. If I, the way I looked at this, he said, you're not going to mature. You're not going to grow. In fact, you're going to drift. If you don't keep paying attention to what you've learned, Hebrews 2.1 says you're going to drift. So to me, it says right there, and I'm sure, I don't think I'm making it up. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. You know, we need the roots. We need that. I mean, you know, Jesus talked in the parable about the soil. We know that parable. Parable. You know, you, the seeds just lay on the hard ground. That nothing's going to happen. It goes on the thorny. No, it goes on the rocks. Nope. No, only the seed that gets put into good soil. And what's good soil? The non-disputable words of Him. And you let that, you plant seeds into good soil, you're going to have a good root system. And, and I, I've told this story many times, but we, we lived in a house and had a great big evergreen in the front. And one storm, oh, it was a horrendous storm. And, and it was our big evergreen was just laying on the ground. And Tom was pretty much ready to cut it up the next morning when the storm was over. We got up the next morning, the things stand straight up. Straight up, and it was such a visual because I thought, you know what? This big evergreen had a good root system. That's the only way. I mean, yeah, it went down. Yeah, we went down in the storm. But you know what? In the course of the night, oh, and that, it just was so perfect because what's the verse in the Psalms? It says, weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You get up in the morning, the trees stand straight up because of the good root system. And this is what Paul is talking about. And to get a good root system, though, what is it going to take? It takes a desire to want to know this. It takes a desire to get it. It takes a desire to put the time and and the effort and and take the discipline and the challenge and the consider pure joy when you go through trials. Realize that he's up to something, and through your life and mine, he wants us to proclaim that this works and it can change others. That's what he's trying to tell this church. Stop being so, so easygoing. Stop being complacent. Stop thinking that you can be spiritually lazy or that you can spiritually know it all. You're wrong. This takes work. See to it. <laughs> See to it mm-hmm. that no one takes you captive through a hollow and deceptive philosophy. Do you think there's hollow and deceptive philosophy going around today? Oh, yeah. Do you think there's hollow and deceptive um, philosophy going around in churches today? Yeah, well, I'm sorry to say. I heard a little joke. Listen to this. I read this this week about this. It, there was farmer. There was a farmer that had two horses that just slobbered over everything. Oh, just it was so gross. I mean, these two horses just slobbered. And he was reading in one of his farm magazines that for twenty dollars, for twenty dollars, he could he'd send his money in and they, they would send a remedy back for a slobbered horse. I know, you and I, we we think how ridiculous. But do you think people are buying into hollow and deceptive things nowadays? Yeah, people are being, you know. So anyway, he scrounged up 20 bucks, and he sent it. And sure enough, here comes this envelope in the mail with a thin little piece of paper, and here was the answer. Teach your horse how to spit. (laughs) Isn't that just something... And that person, for, for probably a little stamp that it cost, he made 20 bucks. But somebody bought into that hollow. I, I know. You know what? Ellen? I'm like you. I thought that was the funniest thing, and I keep... Because I told it to Tommy. He didn't think it was that funny. I, so I did <laughs> But I catch myself laughing about that all the time. But you know how gullible we can be and we can, you know, we're so wanting an easy fix, an easy solution. You know, you get people who are coming in and they say, oh, man, you just need an hour church. You know, you just need a little five-minute devotional, you know. I'll tell you, I, I want to hear that because that means that I got plenty of time in my other 24 hours or, you know, maybe 23 hours or so, then I can do what I want. You know, because my itching ears would just, you know, I'm, I'm, what did Paul tell us in Romans? In that Solomon said it in Proverbs. We're drawn to our own self, what our flesh wants. So he says, see to it. See to it that no one takes you captive through a hollow and deceptive philosophy. Oh, there were times, and I, I know that Chad would, would when, he was, when he was at Calvin, he would come home every weekend, and sometimes he and I, two, three in the morning, it was Terrible. How he even still loves me today, I don't know. But I was so I was so concerned because you know he'd say, Oh, in my philosophy class, this is what I heard. And this is what they said. It you know, you mom, you don't have any college, and this person has got a doctorate. So who do you think I'm gonna believe? Man, I'll tell you one time I grabbed him around the neck and I, I said to him, You just be really careful. You know, sometimes you, you have a tendency to think that, oh, it's just going to be fine to send him to this college or this college or this college. You have got to keep your ear tuned and the Holy Spirit working because um, I'm telling you, there are, no matter where he go today, nothing's safe. You've got to make sure that you continue to live in in rooted, built up in him, and that when you hear things like hollow and deceptive philosophy, because it's not, it's And Chad would say to me, Well, where do you where do you come off so strong on that? I said, Well, I'll show you. And you say, the Bible says, You go tell that professor, Dr. So-and-so, that the Bible says. See what he says then. You know, it doesn't take if you know the non-disputables, it's Paul says it will help you to know right from wrong. You, will, you have a spirit of God living inside of you that if it's not truth, all of a sudden bells and whistles go off. Be careful. You have to get to know him, and then you will be able to discern between the hollow and deceptive philosophy and truth. Because the more that you learn truth, you can come back and say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't. Some guy tried to get me the other day with a question. He, I think he, you know, it's kind of like one of the Pharisees with Jesus. Yeah, I knew he was trying to stump me. And, he, you know, because, I, yeah, he's smarter than me. And so in his question, um, I didn't understand a word of it. And so I just calmly looked at him and said, I don't know the thing you just asked me. I have no idea what you just asked me. But let me tell you what I do know. I know that I have a savior. I know by faith that Jesus died for me. I know for sure that He has called me to study this book, and I know that He's all, He's preparing a place for me, and He's coming back for me. I know that. I don't know your question. Sometimes you you gotta know that in. in Face the facts that there's going to be people coming against you. If they did it to Jesus, they did it to Paul. And Paul is trying to say to this church, he's trying to say to you and me, wake up. Because people are coming. And if you aren't sure, if you don't know, if you can't say the Bible says Sometimes I don't always know, but I know something isn't right, so I'll say, give me a minute, I'll look it up, and then I'll find it. Because no, we don't always know everything. But let me tell you, you can go and find it. This book has every answer you need. Because you know what he says, hollow and deceptive philosophy? You look at where it comes from. It depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. I didn't know this. Did you know that evolution was a man-made thing? Some, somebody just thought it up. And because this person was so smart, and because, you know, they carried themselves with such, you know, no one dared, no one dared question them. And so it, it just was bought until somebody challenged them. And now when you, when you hear about creation, there's scientific proof that can prove creation and everything. But I didn't, I didn't realize that. See, people need to start challenging these man made human traditions and basic principles of the world. And I think sometimes when you look at that Romans verse where it says, you know, we're, we have to accept people, not, no, not when it comes to non disputables. We're just to ease up when it's on a, on a, on a, Disputable thing That's not written You know like Vision on Sunday That we talked about You know and Some of those things that Just let them learn That on their own And through God's spirit Convicting them But when it comes To non-disputables When the Bible says Yes We are to stand out For it For in Christ All the fullness Of the deity Lives in bodily form So he's trying To make his point now He's, trying, he's saying I want you to know That Yes Jesus was human, but I want you to know Christ, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So even though he's a human, he did not lose his deity. He did not lose being second of the Godhead. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority in him. You were circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. A lot of words in there. A lot of words. Circumcision. Baptism. Burial. (laughs) But circumcision, what, is to, what, is, what kind of circumcision? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Okay, we know circumcision means a cutting away. What did Jesus cut away from you and I? Sin. Yeah, he cut away our sin. And then burial, baptism. Remember when Jesus... Went up to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist thought, Why do you need to be baptized? You know? Because John preached a message of repentance. Jesus later was going to preach a message of repentance. And I don't think that is, I think a lot of people are afraid to preach sermons on repentance. You got to take a look at yourself. John preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. But this is where the question came, because when when Jesus came, you know, John said repent and be baptized. Well, Jesus didn't have to repent. Jesus isn't a sinner. But what an example for us! The baptism was was really kind of like a start to show what was going to happen to him when he died and was buried. You go down in the water, it's pretty much you die, you're, you're, you, your sins are going down in the water, and you come up, your old nature is down, and you come up new. That's the, the symbolic meaning of the immersion baptism. You go down to demonstrate you're human. Self and you come up a new house, a new person in Christ Jesus. When Jesus was buried in the tomb, I mean it it would it looked it looked pretty bleak there, didn't it? I and mean, he he died. He the spirit went through him. I mean, he said it is finished. He gave up his spirit. He died. He, he was dead. But when he came out of the grave, my resurrection day is the greatest day because that is when he defeated death and came out new. The exact thing for us. So, all the circumcision word, the burial word, the baptism word, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins and canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The whole Old Testament, you know, the whole, if you ever look up Leviticus and that, I have to say, there are 600, something like 615 laws. In fact, there are 365 do-nots. It, it'd be something. I, I did this, and it, it'd be worth it to you because when you see the Mosaic law, there 600-some, 200-some, this is what you have to do, in 365, do not do this. I mean, I, impossible to be able to, to live up to all those laws. But what he is saying here is that he forgave us of our sins. He canceled the written code because, see, all of those laws in the Old Testament were all symbolic of what Jesus was going to come to do for us. That's why it says, when he forgave us of our sins, he canceled the written code with all of its regulations, 600 some of them, that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What was one of them? best spectacles ever. When Jesus said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, and there was an earthquake, and what happened to that temple curtain? It tore. From where? From the top to the bottom, which is just not normal. And you know what God the Father was saying? Accept, sect. I accept this sacrifice, and now what are you and I able to do? Instead of going through priests and the Holy of Holies and sacrificing a little lamb and all the do's, do's, it was Google it and see all of the, the laws. And Jesus fulfilled all of that. When that curtain was opened up, that opened up for us to go to that throne of grace. Jesus did it. That's He made a public spectacle. <laughs> he sure did. Triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. Because see, when you, when you see all the list, I wouldn't even dare get up in the morning. If you saw all what they had to follow, and to think that I can bounce on a bed every morning, knowing that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. There's anything that you know that that anybody can do to take that away from me, and uh, my sins are gone—not um, in part, but the whole. They were nailed at the cross, and uh, this is my story. This is my song. But yes, I need you every hour, in joy and pain. But we've been set free. We don't have to. We, those laws, now all we need to do is listen to him through the power of his spirit and he will lead and guide as we desire to want to get this and let the mystery start to not be mysterious, but we start to realize that this makes sense. This is a great way to live. That's why he says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or what you, well, or with regard to a f- religious festival. Because if you listen, if you look at that list and you read that list, you will know exactly what Paul's talking about here. He said, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or what, or what with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. There are, are, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. And what was to come? Look, the reality. The reality is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and in the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Look at he says. I think verse 19, I underlined it yellow, but it came back and did it pink too because I don't want to miss this because to me, this is so important. What happens? Why are you like that? Why, what happens when you become unspiritual? Your mind puffs up with idle notions and you start thinking cockamamie ideas. It's lost connection. With the head. Remember we talked about that connection. That, that word prayer. Paul says never stop praying. Well that means never disconnect from him. Because when you disconnect from his Holy Spirit. You're, you're on your own. And you're going to be listening to what you want. And we know that self is going to take you to disaster. And you're going to drift to you finally crash since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world why as though you still belong to it do you submit to its rules why in the world do you want to go back to that legalistic disputable things that it didn't even why get caught up in that do not handle do not taste do, do not touch Again, if you read all of those, do not, do not, do not, oh, man, you wouldn't, you don't dare make a move. But he said, why do you want to go back to that when Jesus, when he died and rose, he conquered all that. You can live in freedom. All I have to do is listen to the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you right from wrong. He'll tell you what move to make. You stay in his word and you want to know because he's laid it all out for you in 66 books. You don't have to go anywhere. It's right here. That's why Paul said to Timothy, don't use any other book. You've got everything you need, Paul, Timothy, for teaching and training and rebuking and correcting whatever your little church is going to need. Guess what? you got this book. It's all you need. And why to go back to you can't do this and you can't do that? And these are all destined to perish with you because they are based on human commands and teachings. There's so many laws that, you know, we have this structure of the Ten Commandments, you know, that that doesn't change. I think that's why they're called commandments because it's it's not if you want to do it. No, he, this is a command that does not change. These are These are, the Ten Commandments are like a fence that he puts around us because he knows we're human and he knows that we just want to jump the fence so much, but the Ten Commandments... Thou shalt, and it's like a fence that he he puts you in. You're free in there. You're free in there. Jump the fence, we got trouble. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. What's false humility? You talked about that. Twice. False humility. False humility. If you've ever seen somebody or experienced somebody with false humility, oh, it, it just wants you want a gag because they're walking around saying, "Oh, I'm nothing. I'm worthless." I mean, you're to a Christian here, a Christian who thinks that, oh, you know, if I just walk around saying, "Oh, what a worm I am." What do they really want? Attention on themselves. False humility is when they, steal, when they want attention on them. That's why it's just gagging because, you know, they say all these and they think that you're going to buy into that. No, you still want that attention on you. You know what real humility is? When it isn't on you, it's on him. I was, my simple definition of humility is when God stays in its place and I stay in mine. When I stay humble before him. And so when he talks about this false humility with all man-made, you got to do this, you can't do this, you can't. No, Christianity, when you come to Christ, it's a freedom. You've been set free. That's why, you know, I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm I'm free from the guilt of my past. Both things. Pretty wonderful, isn't it? I'm free. I don't even have to. I can listen to Fox News or whatever. CNN News. I can listen to it, and I can sing, you know, and I'm free from the fear of tomorrow because I know. In this false humility when I think, oh, yeah, because I had a gal last week say to me, I know God forgives, but I can't, I can't forgive myself. And you hear that. But I sit to her, I says, you know what, I'm sorry to say to you, but when you say I can't forgive myself, you're looking at Jesus and you're just, a, you're spitting in his face. Because he set you free. Your yes. sin is gone. He remembers it no more. But as far as the east is from the west, it's gone. And so you want to bring it up and you want to stay wallowing in it? I said, all I can say is shame on you. I know that's not nice, but that's he's saying I want you to see this. You don't, false humility isn't wallowing. No, you've been been forgiven. It's gone. It picked you up. It starts you over. And he kind of, before he kind of leaves us here, because next week's another week, and he will move us into another part of the letter. But right now he says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. It's not real. Anybody who wants to keep heaping on you, and you don't, you don't live in the freedom. And that's why he says right here, he says, you would better think about that. Because you should be, you should be um, taking your burden to the Lord and leaving it there. You should be taking that sin to the cross, and it's forgiven. But just look at what some people don't really know this. It's kind of like that elder that went up to that poor couple after they asked forgiveness from the church. Apparently he thought he was bigger than God. He thought that God's forgiveness wasn't enough. So he went up to him and said, I just want to know you've been you you've been you've shamed us as a church. You've shamed your parents. See, this is what he's saying. Look, that's not freedom. This couple was forgiven, but instead they don't even know because they don't want any more of that. Isn't that sad? See, that's why Paul's trying to get his to see straight. Come on, you religious people. Come on, you church people. How much is this really clear? How serious are you taking it? How much time? You've got to continue. As much as you got saved, you've got to continue in this because self is nasty. And so is self-righteousness and legalism and man-made traditions. When simply Jesus set to free? I think he's going to get to the point where he's going to say, which way do you want to live? (laughs) I think it's coming. So we'll see. Have a good week.